everyone. My name is Robin Marin, and I am so, so excited to talk to you all today about this topic. Today's episode is called Dating and Hating, and uh, I gotta say, this is gonna be a topic that hits um, just a little bit close to home for me. So first, right up top, I have to be honest, and I do hate to be the one to tell you this, but um, here it goes. Not everyone you meet at school or have to work with is gonna like you. I know, I know. Shocking. It's crazy. It's freaking unbelievable. You're just so likable. Who wouldn't want to be your friend immediately? Uh, But for whatever reason, you know, you walk in, the secretary is giving you the stink eye over the thermos before descending into the abyss of the office, or you walk into the staff lounge and you notice someone took your lunch despite the fact that your name was written like 10 times on it. Um... But the, or, you know, you have this one teacher from a department you don't usually work with and just can't help but love to talk over you every chance they get. You left school. How do you handle high school drama when all you want to do is teach high school drama or middle school drama or math? Or whatever. You understand. So there is that. Right. On the other hand, there are also those teachers that are going to like you. A lot. (laughs) So, you know, this is where part of my own personal experience does come in. And I didn't necessarily date uh, like my co-teacher per se. But as with many office romances, a la Jim and Pam, uh, teachers are not exempt from this potentially beautiful but more likely devastating choice to get a little close and cozy with that person, that other teacher that just really gets you, man. So before we get into all that, uh, let me outline what we're going to be talking about today. So let's consult the agenda. Okay, today we'll be getting straight into it by discussing number one, not dating your co-teacher. I will be providing you a very common scenario to help set you up for when the hormones and the juices that make us human come bubbling up when that one coworker comes in. And number two, they hate you. Now what? It can often feel so intentional. And to be honest, sometimes it is. I'll discuss some ways to get what you need done at school despite the roadblocks that can sometimes come with incompatible personalities. Okay, so let's start with the good stuff. All right, so place yourself, if you will, into this all-too-common scenario. You're hired at a middle school. You're technically certified to teach middle school, but you, of course, jumped at the first opportunity when you got the call to start teaching your first ever set of kids, really despite preferring to work with older students. But ultimately, the difference isn't major, and so you're excited. Nervous, but excited. New teacher orientation arrives. You meet all the other teachers, paraprofessionals, the janitors, and office personnel that will become part of the daily picture of your time here. Everyone seems all right for the most part. You wonder with admittedly some anxiety how your students are gonna respond to you. You think back on your student teaching experience and honestly, it wasn't too terrible. You got to work with high school students and so you really got to practice exactly what you wanted to do. And so you felt also in your groove. You had siblings not too far from their age, and so it just came naturally to you. 
your mentor teacher felt comfortable letting you do a great deal of the planning, you know, with some input and advice along the way. However, you do remember that during your student teaching, if you did ever get overwhelmed, your mentor teacher could always, and unfortunately did, almost always, just step in to take over, especially if there was ever a behavior situation that could get a little too much. Realizing just how little experience you really have with overall classroom management, this begins to cause a little, anx a little anxious shivers to travel up and down your spine. What do you do if you can't handle them? You won't have your mentor teacher to fall back on. You hear the classroom door open and a bright, smiling face just comes walking right in, holding a box of what looks like various teacher supplies. You realize suddenly that you've been sitting at your desk with your head in your hands for the last 20 minutes. You clear your throat, quickly brush your hands moist from terror sweat on your thighs as you stand up to greet this new friendly face. Hey, the face says, I'm going to be your co-teacher this year. And you realize that you may not be in this alone after all. Now, let's stop for a second. This sounds great, right? You thought that there was the possibility that you'd be left alone to struggle. And so to see this seemingly open and positive person just come walking in, it could appear like a real breath of fresh air. And it should be. One thing that I've learned throughout my time as a teacher, both by myself and with other co-teachers, more often than not, you really can't go wrong with having another adult in the room. This could be obviously for a variety of reasons. The more eyes you have in the room, it helps keep things under control when you have your back to the class, like when you're writing on the board. Uh, and then maybe, you know, there are some not so obvious reasons that come with experience, such as the fact that uh, as you get comfortable with your topic or you have your own areas of expertise, your co-teacher will also have their own areas of expertise. And so there may be some students that you just happen to mesh a little bit better with or your co-teacher meshes a little bit better with. So in that way, you know, having the co-teacher or a paraprofessional or another educator of pretty equal footing, that usually tends to work out the best in these kinds of relationships. Having them there in the room really does help lift a tremendous weight off your shoulders. So that being said, uh, I want you to keep in mind, however, that the best co-teaching relationships really do require constant communication and openness. Uh, and often what can happen in these situations, uh, especially when you feel stress or when you're unsure sometimes about what's the next thing you're supposed to do, uh, and you have someone there that can act as a reliable support, this can sometimes mimic, for some people, the dynamic of, you know, a sexual relationship, one where it's a little bit more than just platonic. Uh, and here is where the work crush comes in. And, you know, while an innocent work crush is not the worst thing in the world, it can be kind of fun, you know, that little butter fluttery feeling you get in your stomach for some people can be really exciting. I mean, I've had that, right? You walk in and that person's just there and you're just you feel all these little bug jitters just like coming up into your throat that sounds wrong I'm sorry but like you get the point and that in and of itself isn't the problem uh an innocent work crush really isn't the worst thing but we've all I'm sure met someone who could successfully date a co-worker without the entire building erupting in flames but I'm sure we also could <laughs> say the opposite, that we know plenty of people who uh, unfortunately find themselves in the situation where 
work already pretty as unbearable as it can be becomes even more awkward with uh, either unrequited or ended horrifically love. So since the job of a teacher really does come with so many different social dynamics that you already have to navigate, many may find that it's not quite worth the hassle that it can sometimes be. So now that I've kind of given a little bit of that, let's go back to the scenario. A few months have passed. Your co-teacher has been such an integral part of your classroom that you can't even imagine running the room without them. They're also not the most experienced teacher, and so a lot of the struggles that you both have encountered so far, you're struggling through together. You're a true team. When you drop the expo marker, they already have a backup before you even have to bend down. The banter between the two of you is just natural, and the students even, to, even seem to exhibit more positive responses when the two of you are riffing off of each other. You have a similar sense of humor, and together, you are a well-oiled machine. Today, however, you realize that this time when you drop the marker, you find yourself stuttering a little bit as they hand you another. Your eyes are tending to track their movements around the room a bit more than usual. Their laugh suddenly has your heart singing in unison. The final bell rings and as you both begin to replace the desks to their proper positions and clearing important papers, of course, left behind by your students, your co-teacher turns to you and asks if you're planning on going to the holiday party coming up. You actually found yourself thinking about it and what would happen if you both ended up going together? All right, we have to pause here. This is an important spot to acknowledge some of the psychology behind attraction and what tends to lead to office relationships in the first place. So according to Psychology Today's Dr. Gregory L. Jans, PhD, effort, intensity, time, and togetherness create a potent combination, often vital to completing a given assignment. This sense of connection can, in turn, lead to intimacy. The synergy that combined efforts provide can be truly amazing. By joining forces, two people can work harder, work faster, and accomplish more than either could alone. But the multiplying effect of joint effort can lead to the conclusion that something is special or unique in the pairing. Conversely, the conclusion can be drawn that without the other partner, nothing can be achieved, and so a dependency has been established. Dr. Jans goes on to explain that intensive, emergency-oriented tasks can fast-forward relationships from work to personal. While intensity tends to blast through relationship boundaries, time tends to erode those same boundaries. The more time people spend together, the more comfortable they may become with each other. The more comfortable people become, the more they share. The more they share, the more they begin to view themselves as a couple, partnered together. They begin to see themselves within a relational context. Coworkers may even reinforce this perception of the two being a couple by the joint recognition and praise given to the partners for their joint achievements. Okay, so now take a moment, <laughs> take a moment, pause, please go back and listen to what I just read from, from Dr. Jance again. Because doesn't this just sound exactly a bit familiar? Uh, admittedly, though, you know, in the, in, in the scenario presented to you, the classroom that you and your co-teacher find yourselves in isn't particularly rowdy. And so when we think of stress or 
high intensity sorts of situations. We're, we're not necessarily associating this particular scenario with that same intensity. However, it is important to keep in mind that stress doesn't have to necessarily be overt with a classroom that's super out of control with very little classroom management. Stress can take many forms in the classroom, especially for a teacher. That stress being the weight of just how much work you have to get done between planning and um, and grading and giving uh, meaningful feedback, checking in with students. All of that time constraint on you can in in and of itself be pretty stressful. And so having that co-teacher there to help lift some of that particular weight off of you does become a sort of a dependency situation, right? Where you start to feel like, okay, well, if I don't have them there, then how could I possibly get any of this done? Just as Dr. Jans went on to explain. And so stress here is not just as a direct result of student-teacher interactions. Stress can can absolutely manifest from, from other different sorts of catalysts in different places. And so because stress is not limited to these overt, obvious triggers. Um, there's that idea too that in this particular scenario, you and you you and your co-teacher are not veteran teachers. You're both under the assumption or, or under the understanding rather that you're both still pretty new to this. You in this scenario again being the newer teacher. And so this uncertainty about the job and how to do it correctly, uh, quote unquote correctly, right? Because there's so many ways to be an educator. Um, that it can accelerate this closeness to then allow each other to become super reliant on the other. And just so, okay, how common are these things anyway, right? Like teachers are likely to date each other, but are they more likely or any less likely to date each other than say office workers or uh, people that just happen to work in maybe the same retail store? So According to um, what the website Reboot.com, they claim to have surveyed about 4,000 people about their office dating habits. So this isn't necessarily limited to schools, but it is an interesting set of statistics to just kind of keep in mind. So according to their survey, they claim to have found that 48% of us will date a coworker at one point or another, with 22% of people admitting to dating <laughs> their boss or their manager. Uh, I never did that. <laughs> but of course, you know, everyone's different. Every every situation is different. And so this is just an interesting stat to just keep in mind that it's not always like among people that are of equal footing or even similar footing that this can pretty much happen to um, with your higher ups. 66% of office workers started their romance during the winter months. For those of you who have ever heard of cuffing season, C-U-F-F-I-N-G, that's as the kids say, you know, uh, when you start to get a little lonely in those Christmas Thanksgiving months, the weather's starting to get a little cold and the idea of just staying home and snuggling up with someone is starting to feel a little bit more preferable to then maybe going out to a bar or any other social situation to try to find someone. Um, and so a lot of office romances, it seems, begin uh, during the winter months. And this all comes to a head often 
at the office Christmas slash holiday party, where the lethal combination of mistletoe and mulled wine results in 31% of first kisses between colleagues. So that is something, you know, you think about alcohol, alcohol absolutely has the ability to lower inhibitions. That's why we drink it. (laughs) I mean, it's essentially a serotonin bomb just going off in your brain. It just makes you feel good and loosens people up. And so it absolutely makes sense that you have the strength, uh, the stress of the job. You have this other person that helps to basically lift a lot of that stress off of you. Then you have that combined element of the weather. And we all know how much weather really does affect our moods. Seasonal affective disorder is very real. And so just all of these things. And then you're put into an office party where everyone's sort of letting loose and feeling a bit more casual, maybe not as uptight as they would be at the office and introducing alcohol with that, which is in and of itself a, a social lubricant. And it, it makes sense. All of these stats. The last one here, scandalously, 36% of affairs involved of married partner. But it's not just cheaters that conceal their dirty doings. In fact, 57% of us will be hiding our sordid affairs at some point in our professional lives. So this particular stat, I do and can relate with. I have dated uh, other teachers, and I have dated, uh, when I wasn't working in a school, I have dated uh, co-workers in the past. And yeah, you do end up hiding it. Uh, It wasn't necessarily that I was with someone who was with another person or was married or anything like that. But even then, you just a lot of the time you find that you want to keep these things close to the chest. It's not necessarily the kind of relationship that you you would advertise similarly like you would among maybe like a friend group. And so these stats to me. Makes sense. You, of course, as the listener, are free to interpret the stats as you may. But I do find these particularly interesting as just ideas to kind of keep in mind if you ever find yourself in this particular situation. So now you might be saying to yourself, okay, but Robin, look, those are office statistics. How does this relate to teachers? Well, according to 2016 U.S. Census data, The most common marriages in America are between two grade school teachers. And nearly 20% of people who work in education also have spouses who do. So (laughs) if that in and of itself doesn't kind of tell you uh, the result of a lot of these different elements when it comes to forming these kinds of relationships as teachers, it is something to keep in mind. Maybe that co-teacher could be your one. Who knows, right? Well, I want you guys to understand I'm not against going where the heart may take you. Like I've said already, I've had a few workplace trysts myself that may or may not have gone perfectly fine. And I never want to tell anyone definitively what they should or should not do. To be frank, I don't know you. I don't know your particular situation. And for all I know, this could work out fine. Look at the stats, right? The census itself acknowledges that many of these relationships often go all the way, not just to marriage, but to families. But absolutely being aware of the statistics 
and all of these different elements that can kind of go into forming these sorts of relationships, it can prove to be helpful when you decide on whether or not you're going to stay for that next drink at the holiday party. And so speaking of the holiday party, let's go ahead and see how this turns out in our scenario. You both decide to go to the holiday party together. Everyone jokingly already refers to you both as a work couple, and so no one should really think too deeply about the fact that you chose to go with each other rather than bring someone from your own personal lives. Or so you think, anyway. You both decide to meet there instead of fully coming together, so there's that. Can't make it too obvious that you have a thing for them and you secretly wished you both could have met up first. This is better, you decide to yourself. You make casual conversation with one of the other teachers in your department about some of the latest changes to the school as you wait at the bar for your first drink for the evening. Your co-teacher hasn't shown up there yet, so you decide to let yourself loosen up a bit with a drink. You order your favorite, and as you watch the bartender create your libation with your colleague going on and on about how much of a line there always is at that one working copier in the morning, you notice another coworker peering at you from across the bar with a visible furrow in their brow. This coworker always seemed to have some kind of problem with you, and you just can't seem to understand why. This isn't the first time that they shot you this look. In the hallways, at meetings, even in the teacher's lounge. You rack your brain to try and remember a time when maybe you accidentally cut in front of them at the microwave line. Or maybe you ignored them when they were talking. Anything at all that you could possibly think of to try to explain this clear animosity that's practically physically forming in the air across the bar. This coworker finally breaks their gaze as another teacher in their department puts a hand on their shoulder, laughing. Their eyes break away from you and towards this other teacher with a smile and a hug as they turn their back to the bar and to you. You stand there for a second trying to, uh, again, understand what you could possibly have done to invoke such ire when your co-teacher comes up next to you with an inside joke from class. This breaks some of the tension that you were beginning to feel, and you turn to your coworker. Laughing at the joke, you bring up what just happened with the other teacher across the bar. Your co-teacher mentions maybe it should be worth it to take it to HR. You first begin to nod, but then you hesitate. What would you even say to HR? You haven't argued with this person or had any specific instance that you know of that made them want to be this way around you. Would this just make things worse between you if you got them you know, in trouble? What the actual hell is going on with that one coworker? And what should you do about it? There is the idea sometimes in some environments, especially corporate environments, that healthy competition and rivalry can in some ways be helpful by motivating the other person and helping you to push yourself to be, you know, quote unquote, better in whatever field than, than their rival. Um, I want to take a moment and talk a little bit about that. It may not necessarily fully apply in this situation, but for the sake of interest, why not? A 2014 study reported on the website psychologicalscience.org from psychological scientist Kevin J. Gilgriff of New York University found that not only do people report higher performance when competing against their rivals, 
but that rivalry actually improved race times for long-distance runners. Unlike other competitions, rivalry occurs between people who already know each other and who take their history of past interactions into account into the competition. Unlike other competitions, rivalry occurs between people who already know each other and who take their history of past interactions into account into the competition. For rivals, the psychological stakes are more important than any prizes or titles. Kildruff argues that interpersonal relationships can have a big impact on motivation, which explains why rivalry increases performance more than normal competition. So for example, studies have shown that people are more competitive with their friends than they are with strangers when a task impacts their self-evaluation. And a similar phenomenon may fuel rivalry. However, we all know that there are limits to this, right? Especially here, Kildriff stresses the fact that there's an interpersonal element present with the success associated with competition. However, in the scenario that we're working with together, there's this one-sided nature of the encounter. And it does add an aspect to consider. And while this imbalance does not negate that there may be an element of rivalry or competition present between you and this mercurial coworker, uh, this kind of relationship as it stands clearly cannot be conducive to both parties involved. And the fact that in this particular scenario, you're a new teacher with, as far as you know, very little privilege associated with the position that would invite any sort of jealousy. Uh, scenario you also doesn't work in the same department as this coworker. So just looking at it from the surface, it does seem like there's little opportunity uh, for there to be any benefit to this kind of relationship, and it's probably best to not allow it to continue. One thing to note is that while competition and rivalry may be beneficial in certain areas of business or the corporate world, or even when it comes to sales, um, it may not necessarily be the case when it comes to education. And so that is something to keep in mind as a new teacher, is that when teachers compete, there really are no winners and especially not the students. And so to take the words from Janet Allen from edutopia.com, when teachers compete, no one wins. Animosity between teachers can sometimes be quite palpable. Individuals who are otherwise truly great educators spitefully refuse to help each other or collaborate because of a variety of perceived slights, rumors, and personal judgments. They jealously guard their best lessons and strategies, convinced that their colleagues don't deserve to benefit from them. Teachers, when in competition with other teachers for resources, opportunities, social connections, whatever, we tend not to allow for one of the most important elements to a successful school environment, collaboration. Guys, ultimately, if we're not collaborating, we're not teaching. It can be argued that when teachers don't get along or, or work towards a common mission with at least the very basic respect and understanding for each other, it's the students and student success that ultimately suffers. Allen does go on to say that when teachers are caught up in competition and jealousy, we suffer from lack of support for each other. We lose the respect of our administrators who grapple with much larger issues. We disappoint the parents and community members who expect professionalism from their kids' teachers. And worst of all, our students are deprived of a cohesive learning environment 
where high expectations are the norm. So, okay, at this point, we can agree that this situation between you and your coworker cannot continue to fester, especially because you aren't even sure why they seem to be upset with you, keeping you from being able to be aware of your actions in case it's something that could be improved on. You can reasonably approach this situation from a couple of different perspectives. You can choose to confront the coworker in a private, quiet setting where you both can communicate your needs to each other. Or you can choose to continue about your days without acknowledging this weirdness on the hopes that it'll eventually fade if you choose not to engage it. Or, or, <laughs> you can go to HR and ask for a representative to act as a mediator between the two of you so that you can also feel supported in the conversation. As far as the best option, again, I, I can't try to tell you what is definitively the best choice because there are so many factors that go into this decision. It's easy to say that there is a one-size-fits-all solution, but the fact of the matter is most of us have heard that phrase that the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, so you can very easily be going into the entire situation with one intention, only to have it turn out a completely different way. So what I can say as far as advice is to first reflect. Reflect on how you feel most comfortable approaching the situation and why you feel most comfortable with that course of action. So there's nothing wrong with choosing to just ignore the person, of course, especially if you don't necessarily have to work directly with them this year. But are you also the kind of person that chose to go this route because you're nervous about conflict? It is very different to practice true indifference because it suits your personality. Like if you're someone very self-assured, then it is to allow yourself to stress daily from this conflict. It might be worth exploring in that instance why you're so uncomfortable with the conflict because you will have many, many conflicts throughout your time as a teacher. You will have personality conflicts, intention conflicts, goal conflicts with a variety of people from administration to students to parents. If you find that you're someone to be incredibly uncomfortable when faced with conflict, there is value in spending some personal time on yourself to work on some techniques to help break you out of your shell. This is also not to say that this scenario in particular has to be the one where you choose to break out of your shell. Reaching out to HR, especially as a new teacher, is not the worst advice one could give. HR is trained to act as an impartial mediator to allow for both sides to air out grievances, an environment that is safe for both involved. You and your co-teacher spent the whole night chatting, drinking, and of course, dancing. You at first kept it PG, but as the night wore on, the temperature in the hall raised, drinks kept flowing, and you decided to let yourself loose and let a little bit of that pent-up stress you've been feeling about your work you have to grade and that strange encounter earlier with your strange coworker out in the movement of your hips. Maybe people will talk about the way you two are dancing, but right now, you don't really care. Last call comes and you both decide to grab one last drink from the bar before heading out into the darkness of the winter night. As you both wait at the bar for your drinks and catch your breath from the last song that really brought both of you back to college, you find yourself watching their lips as they talk about something that you realized you weren't even paying any sort of attention to. You feel yourself leaning your face closer to theirs. 
Will you go ahead and take the jump? And here, dear listeners, is where we will leave off this scenario. So let's quickly recap what we went over today. We discussed some of the factors that can contribute to the development of an office or, in this case, classroom romance. We went over some of the statistics around taking the plunge with that co-teacher or, you know, co-worker if you're not a teacher. We also talked about why people tend to feel competition and what are some factors that go into the development of office rivalries. And finally, we went over some of the options available to you when it comes to confronting that person who just can't seem to get over their problem with you. Thank you all for listening today. This was such a fun topic to cover and, you know, to do a little bit of research on. There was actually a bit more that I would love to cover, and so please look out for Hating and Dating episode And if you are so inclined, please look at the episode description for all of the footnotes. And lastly, if you have any stories, advice, questions, praise criticism. Uh, I'll take it all. Uh, email me at robinmarin at gmail.com. That's R-O-B-Y-N-M-E-R-R-I-N at gmail.com. Okay, so that's it from me. Take care, push in your chairs, and have a great rest of your day.